the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's a piece I hope you will enjoy from our colleague, Larry Elder. My next guest practices and teaches law. He's an official with the the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, where he's been for some time, former member of the National Labor Relations Board. Please welcome back to the program, Mr. Peter Kersenow. Peter! Peter, how are you? I'm doing great, Sage. How are you? Peter, I think we've known each other, what was it now, about 40 years? Is it, about, is it almost 40 yeah. years? Yeah, I, I hate to admit that. I think it's true. I mean, I, I count it, it's dog years. My dog. goodness, 40 years. And uh, and and Peter, uh, you 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 have your daughters are now out. You you and your wife are now empty nesters, right? We are. What's that? What's that feel like? Um, it's weird. You know, I like having kids around, but we've been empty nesters for a while now, and we just got finished uh, coming back from Europe. We visit our grandkids over there, and my daughter over there. It's a great time. Um, but it gives us a lot of free time. It's great being a grandparent, as your listeners probably know, those of whom have grandkids. There's nothing better. It's, it's, a, it's an almost magical feeling. But uh, life's good right now, Larry. Well, and Peter, you're also a novelist. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I started writing these. I just I don't know what happened. I was on a plane once. I had been delayed. I was supposed to take a deposition. The opponent never showed up. I was flying from L.A. back to Cleveland, started scribbling some things. By the time I landed back in Cleveland, my hometown, I already had about uh, 120 pages or so. I said, well, why don't I turn this into a book? And, you know, one of my friends, uh, former Secretary of Education Bill Bennett, said, well, you know, publishing a book is extremely difficult. It's like something like one out of 4,000 manuscripts ever gets published. Right. But I figured, okay, I'm this far along, so, and I know you're an author, Larry, far beyond me, and you do a great job and everything, but I, I just submitted it, and sure enough, I got all the rejection letters you might expect, but all of a sudden, I started getting some acceptance letters, and, you know, I'm off to the races. So I'm on my fourth book right now. I've finished my third, and two-thirds through my fourth. Only two have been published so far. The third one will be published soon, but we don't have a publication date yet uh, because we're trying to figure out the order of the books. But um, it was, it, for those of you who are, you know, I'm writing thrill novels in, the, in the, the vein of a Tom Clancy, although not at that level, but uh, they're a lot of fun. They're rollicking good fun. And uh, the first one was Target Omega. The second one was Second Strike. I don't get to choose the titles, by the way. Really? Um, with respect to novels, unless you're somebody who is like a Lee Child or Daniel Silva, your publisher selects the titles because he is a better marketer than you. But um, buy the books. They're great. You can fund my granddaughter's college education. <laughs> All right, Peter. I want to talk to you first about your research into the amount of crime committed by illegal uh, immigrants. We heard, I think, during one of the debates, uh, one of the candidates on the Democratic side said the crime committed by immigrants, making no distinction between legal and yeah. illegal immigrants, is actually lower than the crime committed by Native Americans. What's the truth? Yeah, and, and that's what they do all the time. They always conflate, very conveniently, legal and illegal, because if they segregated only illegal, what the truth is is the percentage increase 
of crime committed by illegal aliens in any category of offense, rape, assault, murder, I'm not talking about jaywalking here, is extraordinarily high. Now, typically, when you look at the demographic breakdown between various groups by race or sex or age, you're talking about percentage increases of maybe 15%, 20%, and even that is pretty substantial. But when you're talking about the difference in the categories of crimes and the increase or the, the uh, percentage increase in crimes committed by illegal is far beyond that. What we have, for example, is, when you, and it depends on which state you're talking about, but overall, when you're talking about incarceration, rates. In California, illegal immigrants are 300% more likely, actually the, the figure is 331% more likely to be incarcerated than uh, lawful immigrants or citizens. In Arizona, it's almost 500%, not 5%, not 10%. That was, that's what I want to emphasize to your audience, Larry. These are extraordinarily high, and they're being, these types of data are being suppressed by the media and the, and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, mm-hmm. it, the, the lowest rate that we could find was in Texas. There, illegal aliens commit in aggregate only 60% more crime than lawful residents there. But when you start to break it down by the category of crime, the more um, uh, violent the crime, murder, rape, assault, the greater percentage differential between lawful residents and illegal immigrants. Mm -hmm. There's a significant lobby in favor of illegal immigration that tries to downplay these figures or cook the numbers. And they do precisely what you've indicated. They conflate lawful immigrants, which do have lower crime rates than American citizens. But they take all immigrants, lump them together, and then try to argue that immigrants have lower crime rates than uh, American citizens. That is false. It's a subterfuge. It's an attempt to try to make us think that there's nothing here, don't, no, no problem here, don't pay any attention to these droids, but it's a significant problem. Peter, there's a uh, piece on, uh, on, on the uh, Cato Libertarian uh, Think Tank website by a guy named Narasti who says that crime committed by illegal aliens in Texas, and you did mention Texas was different, is actually lower than the crime committed by native-born Texans. Is he right about Texas? Well, you know, Texas, I'll say this. No, he's not right about Texas, but he's closer to being right than he uh, typically is in these analyses very often. And, and by the way, I think he does a rigorous job. He's, he's a good person and all that. But the fact of the matter is that it depends on the database you use. The fact is that when you're looking at illegal immigration, they try to discount very often many of these studies from libertarians and business groups discount a whole range uh, or category of crimes in order to get a certain result. And I'm not saying they're trying to get a certain result, but they get a certain result. And they don't include the major categories of crimes. They sometimes conflate legal and illegal, and they use imperfect databases. And most often, every single, almost every single one of these studies discounts one major category of crime, and that is drug offenses. Mm-hmm. So when you start to say, well, we're going to not count a particular offense here and a particular offense there and only consider this particular database, then, of course, you're going to come to a certain type of category. And as I said before, um, legal immigrants do have a lower crime rate than American citizens. But when you look at the discrete cohort of illegal immigrants, Mm -hmm. look at 
all crimes committed or recorded, then there is absolutely no dispute. And it's interesting that Alex and others always focus on Texas because it is the one state where the differential between illegal immigrant crime and legal crime or uh, lawful resident crime is probably narrowest, but it's still at 60% greater. If you look at New Jersey, for example, illegal immigrants commit crimes, major crimes, assault, rape, murder, so on and so forth, 440% greater. And I want to emphasize to your audience, typically when you look at statistical models, when you start to see differentials at, say, 10, 12, 14 percent, that starts to become statistically significant. Mm -hmm. 440 percent, that's astonishing. So there's no way that you can diminish the import of illegal immigrant crime. And also consider this, Larry, in addition to not considering certain crimes and trying to narrow the database, these studies invariably skip a base because they don't include all the crimes that illegal aliens commit more, more readily than almost any other group, and that is document fraud. Because in order to exist in the United States of America, illegal immigrants have got to get Social Security numbers. They've got to steal Social Security numbers. They very often access public benefits improperly, so on and so forth. So they take all those out, skip a base, and when you include those, the percentage differentials are astronomical. Okay, Peter, I, I never met your parents, but I think you told me your father is Russian? Yep. And your mom? I'm a person of color, uh, a, a term that I really abhor. Um, I don't like the tendency on the part mainly of progressives and Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, <laughs> to put people into silos. Um, I consider myself an American first, and, uh, well, actually, I don't consider myself American first. I, I consider myself someone who is a uh, God-fearing American first. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, you can put my, you know, me into any category you wish. But, um, you know, this obsession that we've had lately with putting people into certain intersectional groups, I think, is toxic. I think it's corrosive to... Uh, the polity, but I, um, it's gotten to a point now, as you said, I've been on the commission now for approximately almost on 18 years going on, mm -hmm. and it has gotten more and more toxic, this obsession with race. The further we get from the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, probably the most seminal piece of legislation that would guarantee equal opportunity in this country, the more obsessed we get with any kind of differentials in race. And I think that it doesn't serve the country very well at all. I wanted to get your reaction to Kamala Harris, because there's a piece in a, uh, a black website called onenews1.com, and here's the headline, Rise and Fall of Harris Down 1% of to Black Vote. And it talks about how she fell from 27% to 1% after Tulsi Gabbard slammed her on here on her prosecuting all these people for marijuana offenses. At least I thought the article was about. But then I read it, and here's the first sentence, Peter. Senator Kamala Harris, who falsely claimed to be an African-American while coming from a Jamaican-born father and an Indian mother, uh, dot, dot, dot. And then Chris Matthews said this several months ago, Peter. 
Is she seen as well, African American? Is well, she seen as African American? Is the organization that she put, that she pulls up? Yes, I think she's seen as African American. The, the fact she was at Howard University today, uh, one of the oldest. They call themselves the oldest. I went to Morehouse. I think we're a little bit older. Um, but she's at she was at Howard University today when she uh, when she did her announcement uh, press conference. She's going to South Carolina in the first week. Yes. Um, she is really planting her feet in the African American community. I think she's going to be a very strong candidate. So the black pundit to whom he made the comment uh, said, "Well." She's uh, she's an African American. She went to Howard. Well, so did Rachel Dolezal, Peter. And here's what uh, here, here's, here's, here's what Don Lemon said. But is she African American? That is a difference. There's nothing wrong with that. No one is trying so to take anything down, away from her. Let's go down into her lineage. Let's I think you're falling. I think you're you falling into, into a trap lineage, of that. All she had to do was no, say, "I am black, no, I'm but not I'm not African American." That's it. I'm not falling into a trap. I'm not falling in. Let me, let, me, let me finish. Hold on. I'm not falling into a trap by that. When, when, when she goes down her lineage, many Africans landed on, in Jamaica and all these other Caribbean islands. So she could indeed Jamaica's be not America. He, and that was Don Lemon talking to April Ryan. Uh, he said, Jamaica's not America. Call her, she can call herself black, but she can't call herself an African-American. <laughs> Peter, what's going on here? Galactic insanity, Larry. I mean, step back for a moment and listen to this. I mean, this is you. You cannot make this stuff up. Comedy. Uh, these comedy shows that are on TV, they're dead. They've got to just focus on the Democratic presidential candidates. You can't make this stuff. This is the greatest humor on the face of the earth. The Democrats are so involved in and invested in intersectionality and gender and racial and every other form of identity that they've absolutely lost their minds. They're parsing what island somebody comes from. They don't want to talk about their policy positions because most people are deathly afraid of their policy positions, and they know, they understand that their policy positions, if properly articulated, would be insane. They truly are. You're a Green New Dealer, reparations, open borders. I mean, it's, it's truly insane. So they focus on trying to divide people by race in order to get a certain percentage of a particular demographic and hopefully put them over the line in terms of any given election. They thought with Kamala Harris, and I will admit, I was one of those that thought that she might be a formidable opponent only because Democrats tend to vote, not based on somebody's ideas or anything like that, any credible ideas at least, but based on certain poses and certain memberships in the approved classes. And I thought Kamala Harris might be um, the person who may be more formidable than others in that regard. But she's shown herself not to be, you know, not black or not Jamaican or whatever it may be. She's shown herself to be a phony opportunist. And I think the questions that um, uh, Tulsi Gabbard posed to her, although, you know, look, I happen to be in favor of good and robust law enforcement, what it showed was somebody who was a true phony. It came across really clearly that Kamala Harris, when she had placed a lot of people into jail for smoking marijuana or trafficking in marijuana, but then laughed glibly at the question of whether or not she had smoked marijuana, I think people get that intuitively. And Peter, I think that's what really harms her. Peter, uh, 20 seconds left. You're in a, an important swing state, Ohio. Republicans cannot win the White House without winning Ohio. How does it look for Trump in your state? Trump's going to kick butt big time. He won by, what was it, 7.6 points last time around. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be any lower than that. I think it's going to be greater. And I think the Democrats are making a big mistake because what they're doing by calling Trump a white supremacist, a racist, and all these things 
galvanizing those folks who support him because they understand, just as Hillary Clinton called them deplorables, that the real aim is at them. By supporting Trump, they believe that the elites are calling them racist. Peter Kirsten out. Thank you very much for coming on, as always, Peter. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.